What I, I have uh, today is, uh, first of all, I put together a website on sort of a cloud that we have at Berkeley called the B Space site, which is for project materials and instructional materials. And I created a private website for the participants of this. And when I put your emails in, the B Space automatically sends you an email that I actually don't even know what it says, but it gives you an ID and allows you to sign in. And the first thing I'll do is talk a little bit about what this site contains, and it, it's uh, my attempt to be, give you resources and things that be helpful. Uh, so I'm going to talk a little bit about that. In the context of that, I'm going to tie that into the courses I teach uh, that are methods related, which are five. Six, actually, but I only have B-space materials for five. One of them I no longer teach. Uh, then I'm going to take the two courses that I thought would be most interesting to you and talk through sort of the logic of what I do in the course, give a little bit more of a sense of what the outlines are. Uh, I should say that I, I lecture um, without PowerPoints. I, I, I'm vehemently opposed to PowerPoints in lectures. Uh, and I lecture extemporaneously. And I often describe extemporaneous by using Webster's definition of extemporaneous. The first definition is uh, someone who lectures in a seemingly impromptu fashion, but only after hours of preparation. Mm -hmm. And so what I usually will do is say, if I'm teaching at the unfortunate time of 8 in the morning, despite being a morning person, <laughs> I have to really put in maybe two hours of preparation for each lecture, even if I've taught four seven times. And then I walk in and I give it. It's like I always say, I kind of imprint a lecture in my brain. And then I can be extemporaneous. But the second difference, so I, that's the way I do it. I work constantly with the board. I teach very large classes, and frequently 300 and so on. And so you have to have a tremendous amount of momentum and energy. Uh, I can only do that by being extemporaneous and having a lot of movement. Uh, second definition of extemporaneous, uh, or one of the definitions of extemporaneous, is that things, it has to do with things happen in lecture that are unexpected and unplanned. And, and that's completely true. The brain makes connections that you didn't expect. <coughs> Examples pop into your head from what happened this morning that you didn't expect. And it keeps the material fresh for me. It keeps the material, uh, I, 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 I learn new things in the course of teaching that I didn't realize. I make connections, I don't expect the course is constantly evolving. I, I'm completely devoted to extemporaneous teaching for that reason. It's just kind of more fun for me, more exciting for me. I have to think on the spot sometimes, but that they like that. They like to sort of see it. Also, I love these topics. I just love teaching statistics. I love teaching the other things that I'll tell you. And uh, I can't express that enthusiasm if I'm standing in front of a computer. I have to be you know, communicating to people. Uh, and the way I do teach it is, as I hope, even if I've got 400 students, I'm always thinking that I'm communicating to one person. I'm trying to communicate not just the material, but the enthusiasm. I think the enthusiasm goes a whole long way in terms of, kind of getting the students on board. It does one of two things. You know, it gets them on board or even possibly on board. Like, they, well, maybe there's more to this than I think. Uh, but it also makes the, me look a little bit stupid and silly. And that helps in statistics. So the more silly and stupid I can be, uh, the better they relax. And I'm often stupid and silly. And extemporaneous teaching does that. You know, I will. I. I uh, I'm <coughs> it's never. It's always impromptu. But sometimes I'll find myself doing things that I don't expect, and, and uh, like that, and so on. 
and they never quite know what I'm going to do next. <laughs> and I don't either, you know, and so uh, that's, little, yeah, excuse me. <laughs> Somebody going to hold this for the next hour. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so first thing I've done, uh, first I'm going to just show you what these courses are, and then I'm going to spend a little bit of time going through the B-Space study. Uh, my outline is that I'm going to talk about this undergraduate research design course I teach. Second, I'm going to talk about I put third as a section on pedagogy and assessment, thinking that I might not get to number four, and number four is my statistics instruction. So I have five classes uh, that I teach, or have taught, and that are kind of part of my uh, repertoire. And all of these handouts can be there. One of them is, I mean, all of these, this is like just kind of pulled from the syllabi. So, and the actual syllabi are there. One is computational tools for social scientists which teaches R, LaTeX, and uh, uh, SETA, and does a little bit of other work. Uh, <clears throat> that is undergraduate and graduates. The second course, we introduced that course in an attempt to separate out teaching instead of computational and software kinds of packages from the, the statistics or the design. So, because we were finding it so hard, as we were talking about this morning, to take a lab session and use it to teach them how to do data or R and teach them how to understand statistics. So, so uh, but in fact, it's in, it's very hard for students sometimes to be able to add that extra course, so it's unclear whether this course will continue to, that first course will t continue to exist. Uh, but I have on the B-Space side, as we'll see in a moment, a lot of materials for those of you who want to have something like that or take borrow from it. Uh, this is my basic statistics course that I teach constantly and have been teaching forever. Uh, and it's a, this is the one that I will come back to at the end. It's a, a course that starts with, I always talk about it as starting as our friend the mean. Uh, mm -hmm. But it goes through uh, in elementary material in, a, in a, an advanced fashion. That's my ideology of teaching statistics. Um, that's the outline. The main graduate course I teach on research design uh, has this outline. It's both it's a survey of uh, both quantitative and qualitative, although I don't like that terminology, so I often use small and large in. Um, it has uh, all the a lot of materials on this you have in the spot in the site. This is a new course I just taught for the first time, and I had just the greatest time teaching it. Uh, I had a lot of fun uh, just on experiments and related ideas, so include natural experiments, RD, and I talked about difference and difference as well. On um, the point of, this was a graduate course, and the point of this was to try to go in depth on what is the hottest uh, fad in political um, <laughs> science, and provide an opportunity for students to make some progress. Now, uh, on that note, I'll say that uh, you probably, <coughs> I didn't actually think of this till just this minute, this is me being extemporaneous, but uh, I had the students uh, do MTurk survey experiments uh, and or they could do other kinds of experiments, but uh, the goal was to actually con concoct, design, implement, and analyze and write up an experiment in the course of the semester, this is graduate students, but the idea is trying to get them developing their own research agenda and yielding publications, which is hard to do in our graduate program. Uh, and I use MTurk because it's increasingly clear that people are starting to accept uh, Amazon uh, Mechanical Turk for as a subject 
Can you say? I can take you to the counter. You want me to do that? Hmm. Okay, extemporaneous. Now we're going to not have time for other stuff. But I'll do that. I'll do that in a second. But let me just finish this overview of, of what it is. Uh, and before I forgot, the following fact. Um, I wrote a one-page grant application for $2,000 from Am that Amazon would give to anybody to support using any of Amazon's technology for construction. <coughs> now, that includes anything, cloud services, blah, blah, blah. At the moment, it it, when I applied for the grant, it included uh, Amazon Mechanical Turk, uh, but Mechanical Turk is considered in the corporate structure a uh, beta project, and they still have not solved six months after my, you know, four, Two months after my course is over, they have not solved the way of taking the, the credit you get, the $2,000 credit, and transferring it over to Amazon Mechanical Turk. So while I still have $2,000 that is not spent, uh, and so they, but they <coughs> promised me they're working on that glitch. Uh, and uh, uh, and the bottom line, however, is that uh, all the costs associated with paying subjects. You don't, your students don't have to pay, you don't have to pay, you can get Amazon to give you a grant to cover that, uh, as long as they solve this glitch. Uh, so Amazon Mechanical Turk is an online labor force, and now, has, did, how many of you know what Amazon Mechanical Turk is? Most of you don't know, so it's worth knowing. Uh, I will actually <coughs> kinda, I'll introduce you two ways, I'll take you to an entire course syllabus on that. Uh, Uh, section. Um, so Mechanical Turk, you can be a worker uh, uh, at working on HITS, which are human in, uh, intelligent tasks, or you can be a requester or someone who designs a HIT and has workers work it. Uh, I can sign in as a worker right now. Uh, at some point we're going to have to delete all of these email, all of these uh, Passwords I'm putting in here, Steve. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I can't get the at sign to work. That's in a different place than the keyboard. But I can't get shift to work. Okay, box. Help. I'm hitting. Uh,
We get the empathy of a doctor's statement. Oh, I have to take a qualification test. Anyway, I don't want to take your time, but there's thousands of these. Uh, I've got, well, only 115, because I'm asking for three cents. But there are, if you just look at the total that showed up in the first place, there's zillions of them. Anyway, many, many uh, researchers are doing, uh, are, are doing uh, studies using <coughs> the labor pool. Anybody can be a worker, and there are people in all countries. I was I'm a <coughs> right now doing a study of perceptions of violence in Mexico. And uh, she's got access to survey data, uh, and she can create, uh, do a survey with respondents in Mexico. Uh, most of the respondents are in the United States, Britain has a lot, uh, India. Uh, there are many, many issues having to do with, to work with this, but it's perfectly fabulous in terms of getting a study off the ground. Practicing, it's fabulous for undergraduates uh, who are never going to, who need experience, but are never going to write about. It. It's an issue. Publication is, uh, with this is still sort of an issue, but I, I'll come back to that and show you a few. I want to sign in as a requester. I'll show you a study that I created just to uh, to uh, practice. Oh, here we go again. Uh, and to teach people how to use this. There we go. So, answer three, this was one of the, my studies. Uh, let's see if we can go, get, we can look at the clay up. At, at the <coughs> this is mine looks like, uh, this is what a hit looks like. Uh, you were invited to respond to a brief survey asking about your beliefs and opinions on several topics. Your participation is voluntary, blah, blah, blah. Click here to start the hit. Uh, and then you get a completion code and so on. And this links, this is the standard way to do it. This links to, uh, I guess I have to try control. So try to do that. There it is. <coughs> uh, it's to the survey monkey survey. And uh, it's a survey experiment. But a lot of my students use Qualtrics instead. I could talk about survey monkey versus Qualtrics. Uh, do you think the statement is false? This is a two by two factorial experiment. People are asked either more than 90% <coughs> of the fish caught in the, uh, that are caught are caught in the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, and this question about uh, speed limit signs. Now the other, it's either 90% are caught in the Northern Hemisphere or the other statement is, is true or false, less than 10% are caught in the lower hemisphere. And the other dimension is speed limit. Does this say 30 or 75? And it's to test the anchoring heuristic. The final question is the Barack Obama feeling thermometer. And the anchoring heuristic is that if you just answer questions that involve large numbers, like 90, and see some signs that say 75, you'll get a much higher rating than if you just asked a question that said 10, like 10% of the fish, and saw signs with 30. So that was just to show up. And, and it's done, and the data are available like that, and it takes, you know, you can get 300 responses in 36 hours. So it's, and, they, and, the, and I paid them uh, 11 cents for this, which was completely outrageous. Mm -hmm. At the time, it's you know, 3 cents, uh, 50 you know, All right, so that's Amazon Mechanical Turk. Sure, uh, we'll close those tabs. Um, back to B-Space. Uh, and those of you who want to learn more about B-Space, we'll go immediately to my experiments class. I mean, not B-Space, Amazon Turk. And there you have a whole week on Amazon Turk. And you have absolutely all sorts of things about Amazon Turk. 
here. Uh, you have all of the literature that existed as of a few months ago, that it was basically everything. Uh, I'm using it uh, on how to do it. And then I have in the syllabus itself, I think not in here, you have a set of links to blogs. Like how do you, how did I create that? You know, you, you don't need to know much of anything to do this, but it really helps to have someone help you with it. So that's why I helped my students with it. And basically I just learned it myself and then I taught it to them. All right, so uh, I think I finished, I didn't finish going, I got distracted of course. So finishing my methods courses, uh, that new experiments course. And then finally the one that I'm actually gonna start off talking most about, this is the, uh, the, the, the undergraduate methods course, which is mostly designed and statistics plays a second, secondary role. And then the course I never teach anymore is the big undergraduate statistics course that I dumped because I decided that I couldn't do enough with that course with staff that wasn't being taught in the basic staff courses in the staff department, and I uh, started adjusting my curricular efforts into a different direction. So uh, on the BSpace site, what does this have again? Let me go to the, you're, you, you should have gotten an email that says here, sign into this, and you have access to these resources, and they'll be there forever. Uh, the home of this site uh, just says this, and then the main other place you go to is resources. Now, uh, this is, uh, uh, it's all subfolders. There's PolySci 239 under there. You're going to see syllabus, readings, lecture notes, lecture code, that's uh, um, our code stuff and uh, some other homework assignments, data, installation instructions, which you could care less about, and a few special things just having to do with data. Although, for example, under readings, if you're trying to teach <coughs> data, um, these two scholars have come up with seven data lessons that I think are pretty handy. So you, you, know, you can kind of explore this, uh, uh, and that's in that. The, uh, uh, there's a glitch in BSpace at the moment, so week four, six, one, and 10 and 11 are folders that should be under experimental research and for whatever reason can't be moved. The BSpace people are working on that. <laughs> but just going to the experiments back again, you'll see that it's missing those, or this is empty at the moment because, you know, but anyway, it's a little screwed up, but it'll be, it's all there somewhere. Uh, and it, it, you can't go use your back key, you have to go back and like this. Um, so on the, uh, on the experiments, I have sections on each week, and the great and so this has all of the. Uh, oh shoot, that one's screwed up too. This will get fixed. Uh, let's take uh, let's overview. Oh, that's not the right one. Take some yeah, some better week. Regression discontinuity. Let's go back. There's all the readings. That's the key thing. So and some of my absolute favorite readings. Like for example, uh, this uh, Liam Lemieux is just the. The, the most wonderful thing. Uh, and so you'll see uh, a lot of, and this is also great, this is great. Uh, the, uh, another thing I want to draw your attention to here, if I can find it, it's probably on uh, this week. Uh, so, I'm going to go back to the syllabus, which is down here. Uh, one of the issues, if you teach research design, that probably a lot of people are grappling with now, is there's an old tradition and a new tradition. The old tradition is the Campbell and Stanley tradition, 
uh, exonal notation, internal external validity, uh, experimentation, quasi-experimentation, interrupted time series is the word you hear, uh, one group repos, design, things like that. Then there's the modern tradition coming out of economics uh, with uh, the difference in difference design, for example, which matches right up to one of those. Uh, the whole potential outcomes framework and thinking about problems with uh, design using the potential outcomes framework. You have single unit treatment value as, uh, assumption. That kind of language, how does that relate to all of the old ideas? Well, there's this really, I, I happened upon this uh, great discussion that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, it's a collection on Campbell versus Rubin on causality and psych methods 210. And here's the list, it's a special issue. It's just fabulous. Campbell and Rubin, a primary comparison of their approaches to causal inference. Campbell and Rubin's perspective on causal inference. Reflection stimulated by the comments of Shevesh and so on. This is great, it's Rubin, uh, a discussion of it. Um, and economist perspectives and so on. So, I, you know, there's, there's, some, there's some useful things, I think, in this syllabus, but I'm not gonna talk about it. I had a great time putting it together. I learned a lot. Um, there's so many things that are being written now, uh, and uh, hopefully this will be of some interest to you. Thank you. This is the, uh, well, another course I'm not going to really talk a lot about. Uh, this is a extremely elaborate uh, course that I teach every two years at Clockwork. A lot of the students take it. Uh, it's a graduate course. It has extremely long uh, reading list. I gave you a little overview. Experiments, quasi-experiments. It integrates integrates Campbell and Stanley and the potential outcomes framework. Uh, has a, only one week on survey. It used to have two, but our semester got cut by a week. Uh, and then at the end of this, you'll see that I have a whole lot of paper assignments that give us better a sense of what the paper, uh, uh, what I asked them to do in the course. And I, I, I'm happy to talk about that course if you're interested. I love teaching it, um, and I always have a large group of students taking it. Uh, all right, then the major courses that I teach here uh, that I thought would probably be most relevant to you are uh, my uh, called PolySci 3, it's an undergraduate course, it's a required course of the majors, it's this introduction to empirical research, it's a combination of uh, statistics and research design with an emphasis on research design, as I'll be talking about, uh, and it has a lot of overlap with that 235 course you just saw the research design, except it has almost nothing on qualitative, right? A case study, comparative uh, political science, in-depth interviewing, field research sections in that grad course, I throw all of that out, focus on quantitative here, and have one little week on, as we'll talk about on small lab research. Uh, and then very limited statistics, and I'll also come back to that. And then finally, the, the last, the last uh, resource, oh, I should say, uh, maybe I'll go back to that for a second. Um, this is, uh, if you're putting together a course or you're already a teaching course and looking for information, I have homeworks, the solutions to the homeworks that I hand out. Uh, I, this is a course with, with 300 plus students, so I have a homework, uh, and then I have an exam, and then I have another homework, and then I have another exam, and then I have another homework, and then and a final. And I have given you, this is a private site, so I've done things like, for example, giving you the solution set that I write for the final exam, which the students never get. But it goes to my teaching assistants. Because I work with teaching assistants that don't know the answers to my questions. Okay? 
and uh, and so and can't even write the questions. So I write the questions. I write the answer to the questions, and they they don't have enough confidence that they know the answers to grade. So they need this incredibly detailed thing. Now keep in mind also that solutions are written. I mean, if you find mistakes, uh, I, I I I I I believe it. You can bring it to my attention, but try not to humiliate me. Okay, because you know I usually don't let anybody see this except my graduate students, and if they found a mistake, they wouldn't care. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so this is me being bold and letting you see stuff that normally I don't let people see. All right, and uh, this is all. That's why I say this is private. And then uh, finally, this one class now. I, I do not have as much material here. I have some of my handouts. I have a huge number of handouts, as I'll talk about later. Uh, but I have, you know, some handouts that I'll just pull one up, for example. Uh, this is a derivation of the mean and variance of yr. Right. Um, and you see some handouts like that. I have, however, the good thing about this is I have um, all of my, uh, uh, I have all of my, uh, homeworks and solution sets. Uh, there's the homeworks, and this is a lot of R problems and so on. And they're hard to come up with. So I, I, my thought was you guys could steal stuff, especially those of you who are creating new courses, and it might help you, uh, just because it's so hard to come up with stuff. And I will probably come through and talk a little bit about my style of, of, of writing uh, homeworks, because it's different than a lot of other people's. Uh, All right. <clears throat> Am I supposed to stop in 15 minutes? Okay, so I'll move quickly through this handout here. So it doesn't, I don't really need to spend a lot of time on this because uh, you have, I, but I, I had to put it down so you could start to see the way I see things, of course. Now, I forgot, I, I, you know, I did this from memory without like, just sort of sitting there thinking about what do I do in this course, so I'm sure I missed things. So for example, I always start out with, uh, uh, and this, this is the undergraduate research design course. I always start out actually with talking about theories. What is a theory? What's a good, what, what does a good theory look like? Uh, what, and talked about theory building and uh, theory testing, the difference between descriptive and causal difference and stuff like that. Uh, but, I, but the whole idea here is to start out, with, and this was mentioned this morning, with so many examples of kind of questions and statements, a lot of it drawn from newspaper articles and so on, about the effect of X on Y. Um, if you hold your kid back a year, uh, they're going to have behavioral problems. You know, all of the sort of typical kind of causal claims that we see, and a lot of interesting political research, you know, political science kinds of causal claims, and getting them excited about thinking about learning not only how to think about those kinds of claims, but how to, to do it themselves. Um, this, I love teaching this. It is required course of our majors. I'm completely behind. That's the only course we, may, we require. Uh, of our undergraduates, and uh, because I think this is the and this is the way that they will never learn this anywhere else. There's nowhere in the Berkeley curriculum where they learn any of this stuff. Uh, it's amazing, but that's true. Uh, they don't learn design anywhere else. They can learn statistics elsewhere, so that's why, as you'll see, I, I have a limited amount of statistics. But my all of my experience tells me that this is how they get excited about taking statistics. So most of our students take this early, like their first year freshmen, and then they take their statistics later. And they are so excited about statistics after they come out of this course, because this gives them an understanding of research that I think helps them get excited and put statistics in context. 
So I start off with sort of these big ideas, you know, criteria for establishing causality, models, I, and I don't dumb it down. I give them Ruben Holland. I just don't give them all the notation. It's very easy to talk about the potential outcomes framework without getting very notational. Uh, I'm very concept oriented. Uh, I, in political science, there's two different ways people reason about cause. There's the causal effect of X, that's the sort of Ruben Holland stuff. And then there is ideas about necessity and sufficiency that are brought together in complicated ways that completely dominates the small end slash qualitative tradition. Students get that out right up front uh, and at the very beginning. I, I uh, deal with causal complexity by talking about independent variables, dependent variables, confounding, moderating, and mediating right off the bat. That just gets carried through all the way through. Then I spend an enormous amount of time on experimental design which because I just love teaching it, they love learning about it. I teach them absolutely almost everything that I want anyone to know, graduate or undergraduate, and this is the list. I go through all of, absolutely everything on this is in my lectures. Uh, now, if you look to, at the bottom of this page, which says IV problems with conduct of experiment, that's internal validity. I do give them the Campbell Stanley sort of lingo here. And I, one of the things that I don't do is I don't talk about SIPVA, for example. But I talk about spillover effects. Same thing, people, you know. I talk about the diffusion of treatment. I don't talk about compliance. You don't need to know the jar, the contemporary jargon, you know, to understand and these sort of same old ideas have been repackaged. Uh, one of the, to, you know, pedagogically, I'll come back to this, but I, the, the way I managed to do, cover a lot of this, I have an enormous amount of structure in the class. I always, I say things like six problems involving X, five problems involving subjects two problems involving experimenters. I'm always telling them as if that, that's it. I do actually present it. I say, this is it. There are four of these, there are three of these, you use closed lists. I was very influenced by Bill Clinton, who always had three and five and two. So I use those closed lists, and they just love that. And I tell them, I'm oversimplifying, but there are only four of these, and two of those, and six of those. Anyway, uh, I give them these outlines. But I don't do PowerPoint. This is what they have in advance, and then I just talk. All right. uh, I do quasi-experimental at great length, also. I teach in, uh, I love the equivalent time samples. I always start off with that. It's my favorite quasi-design. I give them a definition. I teach RD in a sophisticated way. I teach D&D. &D. Uh, of course, I don't call, I call it D&D, &D, but I also call it what they read about, which is the uh, equivalent uh, uh, two-group pre and post design or what have you from Campbell and Stanley. I teach interrupted time series, interrupted control series, and, and uh, multiple interrupted time series. All of this is, there's just tons of examples. In teaching the interrupted time series, I teach kinetic. <coughs> they love the kinetic fractal. That's the classic one. For MITS, the MIT multiple interrupted, there's a very famous article by Paul Lewis Beck on the coal mine disaster. If, uh, uh, can we legislate safety? It's the piece of political science that gave rise to what is in the United States called OSHA. Occupational Self and Health, Occupational Safety and Health Administration. This political scientist did a piece of research that shows that when Congress acts, people's lives are safe, and we have a giant bureaucracy as a consequence. When I tell students that they they get goosebumps, and you know, and so on. Anyway, no wonder why they want to. Yeah, yeah. It's the same, and they want to go out and do it themselves, and they want, and they get very excited, and of course, I or they think I'm silly. That's the only I mentioned. Uh, measurement, I spent way too much time on this. If I were gonna, I always tell myself, Laura, we're gonna cut back, and then I don't. Uh, but this should be cut back. 
I, 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 don't, I don't, I'm not convinced they need to know criterion validation and so on and so forth, but I keep talking this at the moment. Uh, then I give them a break. And I talk, they love this. I talk about surveys, I talk about documents and content analysis, I talk about observation uh, and participant observation, covert observation. I have a colleague in sociology who does uh, uh, covert uh, participant observation in the uh, slums of Los Angeles. Basically, he just joins gangs <laughs> and then writes books. I mean, they just love hearing about that. And there's a very famous study uh, that is that I think is in the textbook that I use, which is by Johnson and Jocelyn. It's by Congressional Quarters, like Research Methods and, uh, and uh, Social Science, about a study where people um, uh, got, did uh, uh, unobtrusive observation by hiding underneath dorm beds and then recording what went on in the dorm room. They love it. They love this stuff. I always try to find examples like that so that they, you know, go home and look up. And then, of course, in, I don't know, you probably don't know the Berkeley campus, but it's got this big plaza called Sproul Plaza. And I know from being on human suffix boards that sitting on Sproul Plaza are like 27 cameras that are part of research projects. And I tell them, so you are a subject every day walking down uh, 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 Sproul Plaza. Uh, we have a lot of fun designing uh, uh, observational research. Uh, I draw on, there's a lot of observational research in political psychology, experimental observational research. So it's fun to sort of tie experiments to observation. This is a sort of a light, non-number oriented, not very technical. Everything else is much more technical. Uh, and then I teach them sampling, and I teach them sampling, I'm a sampling aficionado, so they get sampling seriously. Uh, they learn post-stratification weights, which are not properly spelled there. Uh, they learn systematic, stratified, uh, cluster sampling. Uh, they, of course, learn non Then my statistics module is pathetic compared to what you might expect it should be, which, by the way, is why I have a, I have much less statistics than, than most. Um, I, do uni I do univariate, bivariate, uh, descriptive statistics, and controlling for a third variable. Uh, I, first time, I used to try to go further, and I still sometimes want to go a little bit further, but instead I kind of leave it at that and hope that that's enough to get them into a statistics class, and then back into my class that I have uh, that is a more, slightly more advanced way of doing statistics. So that's, I have an idea of the trajectory I want them to go through, and of course, in an American-style university, it's easy for them to do that. They can take the poli-sci three, then they take their statistics course, then they come back and take 231. Uh, and then I end with uh, small and irrational choice. We always, this is sort of a decision on the department's part that we should always, this core course should do a little bit that covers other terrain. So I teach them a little bit about decision theory, game theory, and I do simple two by two uh, simultaneous equations, just much more. Just a clarification question. Yeah. How many weeks do you have for this? Fourteen. And I lecture twice a week, and there's a discussion section once a week. So 18 pictures. Uh, 828. 28. 28. Twenty-eight. Yeah, but then there's the introduction, and then there's the uh, the exams. You don't give them two exams. That's in them. That, that takes a lecture. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, so now a little bit of pedagogy. I knew I was going to get to the statistics probably, so I wanted to talk about pedagogy because I have very strong expectations about this. So uh, one of the things I do in my statistics class when I was when I teach undergraduates. Uh, and with uh, these research design classes. I spend a lot of time 
talking about things that I like I mentioned this morning, but this is this is not like your regular <coughs> class in many ways. And one of the ways is it's cumulativeness, that they just have to understand it's not that it's cumulative in a way that no other class that they usually take is cumulative. They really simply have to understand experiments before they can understand quasi-experiments, and so on and so forth. Uh, moreover, I have learned through experience that many students are flabbergasted at their performance. And that is because of bullet point number one, understanding what I say to, what I call understanding what I say to versus being able to say it yourself. <coughs> and I say understanding, doing well in this course is, is like uh, learning to play decent, uh, uh, decently on the piano. You have to practice. And if you're going to be able to write it, a coherent sentence, you have to be able to speak it. If you can speak a coherent sentence, you can write a coherent sentence, you can perform well in the museum. And so I emphasize over and over they have to to uh, explain it. I, all of my teaching assistants get uh, get the students together in small groups. I make all, I tell those 320 <coughs> students right off the bat, start getting your groups together. I want you meeting for coffee. I want you thinking poli sci three. You know, you can, uh, you know, do whatever you want. You can be watching the Euro Cup, but you have to be talking. You have to start using statistics and trying to explain it to each other. And you have to be able to explain it to your mother because. That's a different task. <coughs> someone who doesn't, this is the way, this is, this is the way I try to get them to think of what they have to do. They love this, because they, they don't want to be surprised at their terrible performance. The ones who work hard often do get surprised by their terrible performance, because they can listen to me and say, oh, I get that. And then they, they start speaking, and all that comes out is garbage. Uh, another thing that happens is that they understand things in such a limited way. They understand why what that a statement is correct because it's a statement they recognize that I've said, for example, but they don't understand, you know, six other statements that are wrong that I think they should be able to understand that they are wrong. And so I go through, I spend a huge amount of time trying to figure out wrong statements that I want them to understand are wrong. And that's part of my pedagogy. So I teach them about the monotonic and uh, linear transformations and recoding in the measurement section. And so, and I teach them that the Pearson correlation is invariant under a linear transformation. And so I show them that if y nu is six plus three y, the Pearson correlation between y and z is the same as y nu and z. That they understand, but then if I throw a square in there, you know, that, that's when the math skills get in the way. They don't think that that's, some, they, you know that I've taught them what a linear transformation is, they get confused, they know what a linear transformation is, they know this first statement, but they don't, they don't can't put those together to see that this is a nonlinear transformation, therefore, so you have to start making connections for them. And part of the way you do that is identifying all the things that are wrong. In my statistics classes, I won't get to, I have a file. It's a very thin file. It could be 77 pages long, because I just started putting it together, called Common Problems. <laughs> and basically what I do is create this file common problems, and every single time I teach, those become the things I teach. So it's really like, here's what you, here's the statement that you thought was correct that was incorrect, you know, or here's what was, here's what's wrong and why it's wrong. So I don't just teach them what's right, but I teach them what's wrong and why it's wrong. Uh, and that makes a huge difference to me. Uh, and it's related to this, uh, being able to define you uh, versus being able to recognize applications and be able to apply to oneself. So I students can identify can define uh, construct validation. But if I give them a, a tell them what somebody has done, 
this Professor X did such and such and such and such and such and such. And, and I give them a set of things that the professor did, which was a, a construct validation, but with a mistake, say. They don't recognize that it was construct validation. They, they know what it looks, what, what it, how to describe what the steps are in construct validation, but when you describe an application, they don't recognize it. And then, and that's just weird to me. <laughs> but, but you have to work, you discover that they don't get that, and then you work at it. Or if I ask them to come up with an example of construct validation, they feel miserable about it. So then you start learning what their problems are, and you come up with examples. I have a lot of problems where I make them recognize things uh, and uh, develop applications. Integration and differentiation. What's the difference between criterion validation and construct validation? What's the difference between the randomized control experiment pre and post and the randomized controlled experiment post? A huge amount of that uh, in, uh, in my pedagogy. Um, assessment. Uh, I'm going to just, I think I'll, since I won't have time to talk about the statistics, I, my time is up. Um, assessment, I have extremely strong points of view. I have a lot of formats, and I, get, I think I'm going to give you a feel for this by pulling up a couple tests and a couple homework, maybe just tests, uh, and then leave it at that. I'll make a couple final remarks. Um, so let's see. I will start with PolySet 3, but I'm going to come back to my stat because it's, 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 it's a completely different course, but you'll see some commonality there. So first of all, you know, I, this is again US, uh, US style, but I do this all, in every single course. As I give them, draft, <coughs> I want uh, this. It's not coming up. I don't, won't take that. I will take uh, a midterm. I give a practice exam, uh, and and uh, one of the oh dear, wonder why that's not coming up. <coughs> I uh, try another one. Maybe it's this tool. Does anyone have any clue why I wouldn't be able to read all these and all of a sudden? Maybe you can just save it to the desktop? I don't know. Uh, you can find thing on the bottom left. This. Don't. I've got the Firefox bottom left. It must be downloading it somewhere. Yeah, it must yeah. be. You guys the orange um, box. Oh, on the that's the download thing. It's just, yeah. is yeah. it still downloading? Oh, it's still so downloading. if you open it and when you yeah. click on the file yeah. yeah. and open an open containing folder. Do I open containing yeah. folder? Yeah. yeah. Oh. There you go. <laughs> all right. So, well, first of all, jokes are always welcome. So every, I have a lot of uh, jokes in there. Your friend Bob will be a friend of mistake of going to Stanford. So uh, I have a lot of, uh, of, of examples of problems uh, where they have uh, mistakes made up. I wish I would like to find one of the other ones I was planning to pull up. So I go to here and I go open containing folder. 
Let's see if I'll, this is the one I really want. Sorry about this new momentum thing again. Um, that and terrible eyes. There we go. Open like a new tab. So Professor Oso-Rong from Stanford, <laughs> uh, Professor Sarong, and then uh, I have Professor Emma Silly Goose from UCLA. Uh, I have Professor I.Q. Neil. We have fun trying to make up more. Uh, 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 and then Professor I.Q. Neil's illustrious son, uh, Professor Ino Neil. So, uh, so I have a lot of um, I have a lot of, of of different kinds of problem formats. This is really what I'm going to get at. And I, every single one has choice. And to me, I'm, I'm devoted to this uh, as a pedagogical tool. Choice lowers their anxiety. Choice makes the little uh, events that cause them to have more trouble with one thing than another that yeah, for extraneous reasons <coughs> not relevant. Um, I always give them practice sheets. And some of the practice, what, I, what is on the practice sheet shows up on my exams. Um, so I have a lot of those. I have uh, many different <coughs> short answer sections. There's Professor Mo Ron, like Mo Free Rena, only it's Mo Ron. No. Um, you do things, silly things, like uh, uh, peanut butter and so on. Um, the, uh, I have true or false. This is like incredibly important, I think. Uh, uh, true or false and explains. I fill in the blanks, the GSI, my teaching assistants love that, they're so easy to grade. But these are, these are, I always think of these as sort of Jeopardy questions, they, you know, they have to, it's a harder, harder to do than a multiple choice in some respects. Um, and then I have things called, something called explain, provide an explanation. Uh, some but not all forms of observational search produce reactivity because, you know, I have to come up with an explanation, and then ID, and I always throw extra credit in. Talk about a morale. I, that, and I grade on a straight scale, so they can get 101 out of 100 points. They love that, that possibility. Mm -hmm. All right. Um, so uh, there's all these different exams, and then there's solutions to all those exams. <coughs> in case you want to see it again, don't, don't humiliate me if that's wrong. I have a, a couple comments just to end up. I know I've already kind of passed my time. And they are in my, if I can get this back up, I'll, uh, again, you can spend time on that B-Space side if you want to. Uh, you know, it's got all this stuff. And what I really want is what I seem to have lost here. Uh, so I have this, uh, I have a whole ideology of statistics and this uh, about how to teach it and how not to teach it and what to do. And, and a lot of it basically involves bringing fundamental ideas about algebra uh, throughout from the very beginning. And I can, I can teach this entire thing without calculus, although I usually don't. If, but even when I teach it with calculus, I teach calculus. I mean, I teach enough calculus in 20 minutes so they can understand calculus. To me, the concepts in statistics are all about algebra. Either regular uh, scalar algebra or the algebra of expectations. And I spend a huge amount of time teaching the basics. I teach the algebra of expectations in, in understanding you know, uh, a standardization transformation. And my success, I think, I think that people get statistics if you go at it this way. So I have these very, <coughs> I always teach the frequency theory of probability and make a big deal about this stuff being rooted in the frequency theory. Um, all right, so this is the outline that I won't spend time on. 
Uh, and then I want to just come to a couple things. I meant I throw I threw Vark in there just so you would have a memory of that. Um, the website is here too. I can I, I brought it up so you can sort of just see it. It's just one of the learning guide websites people can take tests. Uh, one thing I just wanted to talk about was teaching to a textbook. So the final comment. I I have tried to teach to a textbook, uh, and I almost never do. And that what I by which I mean, uh, you know, feeling that you're glued to the textbook. So I work extremely hard to try to find a textbook that, that it matches as much as possible what I want to do. Uh, and if I can't find one of those textbooks, I don't use a textbook. Uh, I, have, I write my own notes and so on, but I use a lot of copy, uh, one chapter from this textbook, one chapter from that textbook, one chapter from this textbook, one chapter from that. Every time I construct a course where I have to uh, construct lectures based on what's in the book, it's a disaster. So my advice is free yourself from the find a great textbook if you can, write your own, which is what Alan did, that's what, you know, or, uh, you know, or, or just be yourself. Like, now, just to give you one more final example on this, uh, when I started, did do the undergraduate staff teaching, I used Friedman Design Groups. David Friedman's my colleague, he's now done, but, and, uh, and it was in the very beginning, the book just came out, in fact, I was teaching with one of his notes, <clears throat> and I loved it. <coughs> it's a great book, you know. I don't know Alan's book. I probably would love Alan's book, given how much I love Alan and, uh, <laughs> and everything he thinks, you know. But uh, I love teaching from it, but I, I hated one thing. It teaches regression in terms of correlation. To me, that's just completely backwards. You must teach regression, and then correlation is understood in terms of fit. And that's the way you should teach correla you know, uh, correlation. And uh, so I, and David, you know, says, I'm, now you're one of the few people using this. I need your feedback because we're going to be doing a new revision. So I wrote him along them on why the chapters had to be reversed and it was impossible to teach from. And he thanked me for my comments and ignored it. You know? but, and so I, I forever had trouble teaching from that book because if you find that you don't, you know, it's done, it doesn't suit your sensibility, uh, you know, I think in terms of fitting a line, that's a descriptive question. And I, and I don't think about a regression of standardized variables, and that's the way the Friedman book teaches it. And I don't like that, I don't want them to think about it. I think standardized variables are a mistake in many respects and so on, so I like the line fitting, and I like thinking of the correlation in terms of the R squared, and, and there are many you know, things. So you have to find your inner sensibilities and go with it and don't teach the book. That's it. Thank you.